0: It's time to get intentional about your vision so you can create lasting change in your community. Learn the skills and strategies you need to become the grant writer the world needs. Let's do this. Hey, friends, welcome back. Lately, we have been covering some great topics around building your grant writing business. So if you are ready to step up your grant writing, this is the perfect time to join me on the Fast Track to Grant Writer. Before the end of the year, we can really get you ready to hit the ground running in 2022. The students in the program are making such incredible progress, and we're building an amazingly supportive community there. We'd love to have you join us. You can learn more and sign up at TeresaHuff.com slash VIP. This month, we're shifting gears a little bit, and we're talking about developing a healthy nonprofit. This is kind of at the core of applying for grants. You need to have a healthy nonprofit in order for funders to want to support you. So it's really important to make sure that this is an aspect of your operations. Sometimes developing a healthy nonprofit board can be a challenge. Often, board members agree to serve without really understanding their role or how they can best help the nonprofit. Board training and good communication can alleviate some of this dysfunction. Board members can then step into their leadership roles and use their skills more effectively. Today, I'm talking with Brian Brandt. He is the CEO of Core Insights. He provides board training and speaking and strategy for nonprofits and businesses. In this interview, Brian shares words of wisdom for developing nonprofit board members. Brian has co authored the book The Ambassador's Journey, and this is a parable about nonprofit board leadership. It's a great story that goes through some of the challenges and ups and downs of developing a nonprofit and new board members as well and how they can get involved. Brian was kind enough to send me a copy a few weeks ago, and I really enjoyed this quick but thoughtful read. If you're looking for a way to start the conversation about board development, or even just find more creative ways to develop your board's leadership, then this is a great place to start. As Brian says, when we actively engage and equip our board members, they become our organization's best ambassadors. I hope you enjoyed this conversation today. Brian, welcome to the show. It's good to have you here today and good to get to know you and your background. Tell us a random fact about yourself.
1: (laughs) Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Teresa. Uh, I did a little bounty hunting when I was in college. Ooh. How's that?
0: You got to tell us more detail now. That's that's a good teaser.
1: Well, my my brother worked for a bail bondsman, and on occasion he would call me while I was in college, and he would say, "Hey, will you will you help me find this guy?" And uh, so, in between class and playing tennis and such, I would uh, go do a little bit of research, and you know, this way before the internet, so it was mm. it was a little different back then.
0: So you had to do hardcore research.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: Interesting. What a cool side gig. So if anybody's listening, if you're looking to pick up some work, (laughs) that might be a new (laughs) career option. There you go. Yeah, that's funny that you throw that in with tennis and hanging out with friends and bounty hunting, you know.
1: Yeah, exactly. Quite the
0: combination. Well, that's a fun background. So tell us a little bit about your more recent background of your journey and how you got into nonprofit work.
1: Yeah, so after graduating from college, I worked up in Branson, Missouri at a large Christian sports camp up there for about 10 years and then moved to East Texas and was the CEO of a nonprofit large camp and conference center and retreat program down here in Texas, which is where I I still live now. Along the way, I got a master's in global leadership and really started, it was during that process of getting my master's and going through a community leadership program called Leadership Tyler, that I really determined that Kind of between my master's work and the 15 years of leadership experience, I I wanted to take that to others, and I wanted to to start my own firm and then come alongside others who are accomplishing great missions and helping them. And so since then, I've worked at a, a nonprofit, but I also have consulted with, coached, trained uh, and then now written a book that is focused on nonprofits. And I serve on several boards uh, still today.
0: You know, that's it's interesting you mentioned that at the end of serving on boards because it wasn't until I did that that I got a whole different perspective of nonprofits and how they operate and some of the challenges. Doing the grant writing and consulting was one thing, but actually being in the trenches as a board member was a whole different perspective. So I think that gives you just a different level of credibility and way to relate to the nonprofits that you work with.
1: Yeah. You know, at this point, I've probably served on the boards of about 10 to 12 different nonprofits and been um, in some great ones and some ones that were thriving and done well and and been a part of some that were, were struggling and, and had to overcome quite a bit. But it's uh, it served as a board chair. So that's part of why we wrote the book is because we've, we've served in a lot of different roles and different aspects. And we have, to your point, Teresa, seen a lot of different avenues and sides of it.
0: And I'm sure you've seen, like I have, that people mean well, but so often they just don't know how to help. They want to help, they love the cause, they feel strongly about it. But what do we do? How does this board run? What's our role? Is that what you find as well?
1: Yeah, the reason I'm chuckling is because sometimes I see uh, on some forums that I'm on, I see people post, all right, I've got my 501c3 status. What do I do now? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that probably should have been thought through a lot before you got the status. But, <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate the heart.
0: For sure. And that's why they started. And that's so important. But yeah, I hear, I see the same thing of, okay, I have my 501c3. How do I get a grant? okay, you've got a lot of work to do before you start getting grants. (laughs) So you're probably the same way. There's a lot of that foundation work. So tell us a little bit about that. What do you recommend in cases like that when you see those types of questions? Where would you say to even start?
1: You know, I really do think it goes back to, okay, you do, I mean, usually with almost every state, I believe that, you know, that you have to have a board to have nonprofit status. And so I would say to, at that point, really look as a group and really determine, you know, it doesn't have to be a super complex, but some level of a plan and a strategic plan and somewhat of a business plan for how you're going to go about it so that you can go out and communicate with donors and participants, you know, depending upon what your cause is. If you're working with dogs, you don't have to go talk to a lot of dogs, but you probably <laughs> need to go talk to a lot of people who care about dogs and, uh, you know, a little local community and maybe the uh, public works department and things like that. So mm-hmm. it's it really does. I think getting a plan together and having somebody look over your plan and poke holes in it and ask good questions It has to happen. And again, preferably before you get your status, because then, you know, there's times where I see that there's just so much overlap where realistically it probably would have been better if they didn't start a nonprofit, but they just came alongside one that was already started. So, you know, research and planning absolutely is critical, I think, at the early stages.
0: Mm -hmm. I agree. And like you said, the market research is really important because you don't want to be competing or duplicating. And that's really what a lot of funders, donors, grant funders are looking at too is are you duplicating or are you supplementing and helping grow and work together as a community as opposed to having those conflicting interests or trying to copy something that's already there when there's really not a need. So I think that's something people sometimes get ahead of themselves and don't realize. And you have to ask those hard questions, which is sometimes painful, but it's important to do that.
1: Absolutely.
0: Say an organization's been around for some time, but they just haven't done a lot of board training or the board members are just kind of like, we don't really know what to do here. We're just on this board filling a space. Where would you start? What advice would you give them?
1: Yeah, you're 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 getting me perked up here uh, (laughs) because that's exactly why we we wrote the latest book called The Ambassador's Journey is because we had so many people that were running nonprofits that came to us and they they had a certain level of frustration with the engagement of their board. And then we go and we talk to the board members And they feel like they're being underutilized. And I'm like, okay, you all are in agreement about the problem, but what are we going to do about it? And so Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times it is a matter of refocusing and really looking at what are the roles and responsibilities? What have they agreed upon? Are there, you know, basics like are there term limits? A lot of times it really is about clarity on vision and goals. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so many times... That's not outlined that we come in and and nonprofits haven't said, hey, this is what we want to accomplish in the next three years. So therefore, how can a board member really plug in? And how can Mm -hmm. they help uh, accomplish that if there isn't one of those clear goals? And then at the same time, how can they um, encourage and challenge uh, the senior leadership or the executive director um, if there's not that clarity? But also, you know, one thing I find, Teresa, a lot of times is, and, and I hear this a lot, is just the lack of connection and relationships, within boards. And I think that is so critical for so many reasons, but just too many times people come in. When I say people, board members come into the board meeting, you know, it starts at 12, they get there at 1158, they grab a meal, they sit down, they say A or I a few times to to say that they voted for something. And, you know, they're out at the goal is, oh, I got to get you out by 1259, you know, and there's not a real engagement with the mission. They're not hearing testimonies. They're not seeing things that uh, really invigorate them. And they haven't made any connections within the board. So those are all kind of some other important aspects that, that we find to to really make a difference and be a, a big help.
0: I'm glad you're working on that because I see a lot of those struggles too. And a lot of it is a matter of they do have the skill set, but nobody seems to know how to connect the dots. And they need that someone to step in and help them connect those. And once they figure out some of those pieces that are missing, then they can really become a powerful force in the nonprofit world. But they just need that little push to get there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Once they've seen some success and felt some success, Most of the time they joined that because they appreciate and care about the cause. And so if they get some wins in there, well, you know, that means they're probably going to look for other wins. They're going to start talking to other people about it. And they truly become not just a board member, but an ambassador. And then it just gets exponential what can happen.
0: Right. So say a board member is listening and they're thinking, I totally relate to what you're saying. And. I don't know how to get involved, but I really want to because I love this cause. What would you say to that board member? Where should they start?
1: I would sit down with the board chair and the executive director as a starter and say, really, what do you see as important for the coming season? And how can we use my experience or my skill set or my relationships to truly further the cause. I think most board chairs and executive directors would appreciate having that conversation and having somebody initiate that. Mm-hmm. And then to kind of capitalize upon that and then go, hey, you know, and it's not just me that's feeling this way. We ought to get, you know, our other board members to, to have that same mindset of where's my spot? Where can I make an impact? What's going to be my legacy when I'm done being on, when my, when I term out on this board?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that's good. Do you ever run into resistance from board members? Like maybe some are welcoming and want training and, coaching along these lines, but then others are just like, "Mm, no, not at all. How do you handle that?
1: Yeah. You know, I would absolutely say, yes, I have. It is pretty rare. Most of the time I see it in instances where they really didn't get a clear picture of what the commitment was in advance. And so sometimes when executive directors tell me about, you know, frustrations they have with board members, I'm saying, I ask, so when you were uh, recruiting them, what did you tell them their commitment was going to be? And a lot of times that conversation hasn't happened. So we can't really hold people accountable to something when it's not been outlined. So that's that's one part. And then occasionally you do, you get some bad apples. And so uh, here I was actually doing a board training a few months ago and I remember it was on a Saturday morning and I asked uh, where... People saw their major impact. And this guy just looked me straight in the eye and he said, I'm here to make sure nobody else does anything illegal or unethical. And, you know, then kind of crossed his arms and did that. And I was like, Well, you know, aren't you a, a bundle of joy? You know, but, <laughs> but, you know, he yeah, also, wow, uh, the police. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He'd, he'd actually, you know, he just was telegraphing a lot of frustration. He, he showed up late. Mm-hmm. He walked in irritated because, the doors weren't open. Well, the email had gone out several times telling them that, you know, these doors were going to be open from such and such time to such and such a time and all of that. And if you had any trouble, text this number. You know, the nonprofit staff had really done a great job. But if, you know, if you don't read the communication and then. uh, So, yeah, so I definitely have run into it. But I will say, Teresa, it's pretty rare.
0: Well, that's encouraging to know that that is fairly unusual, not unheard of, but also maybe not going to become an issue all the time. Right, And it sounds like a lot of what you're saying is true of marriage or the classroom or any relationship where it, a lot of it's about setting expectations and keeping realistic expectations up front and communicating those clearly.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. There's one nonprofit that I served with recently and yeah, the responsibilities just kept growing and growing and growing. And I was like, you know, I've, I've got a job. I've got a family. I travel quite a bit. I've got other nonprofits I serve on. You know, we can't just keep adding to the the to-do list and not take anything off and and. And we had a conversation about those expectations. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's helpful. And a lot of times that's just really what it needs. I would so much rather just sit down, shoot straight. Let's just talk it through and work it out. And I think sometimes people are afraid of that. Sure.
1: Sure. And that, I mean, yeah, if, if we could be all be all be better communicators and be upfront and present things, you know, quickly after they become an issue, um, Every organization would be better off.
0: (laughs) Wouldn't we all? Yeah. You mentioned something earlier that I wanted to come back to. You mentioned something about board ambassadors. Can you tell us more about that and kind of how you would develop those or how nonprofits can really encourage their board members to be more of ambassadors instead of just coming in and leaving the meeting? How can they go out and help spread the word and generate interest and support for the cause.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I I think a lot of that starts with the very beginning, starts with recruiting and recruiting the, the right people that are based on the needs. And, you know, recruitment should be based on the strategic plan and goals of the organization for that season and all of that. But then I think it quickly starts with the onboarding process. Um, I'm actually leading a webinar tomorrow on our guest Thursday on onboarding and they've titled it onboarding. It's so much more than orientation. And, you know, one of the things that we'll talk about in that is that. You know, how much can a person digest? And so thinking about what do they need to know, but then thinking about what's the best way to get that information to them over the course of the first few months. Um, I think mentorship is really important. So every board I'm a part of, I encourage uh, them to have a mentor for all new board members. And that's just somebody that can come alongside them, check on them a, a few you know weeks before a board meeting and, and touch base and make sure they understand, sit next to them so that they can ask questions at board meetings and things like that. I think that's part of the process. But then too, Teresa, a lot of it is equipping our board members, making sure that they know the information. They understand what the root is of the issue that we're trying to to solve, um, understanding some different ways to communicate, you know, whether it be a uh, back of a napkin over uh, a lunch or whether it be uh, giving them a PowerPoint presentation or, you know, some, some simple brochures, but equipping them. And then sometimes what we've done is actually help them grow their skills in Communication. So, do a little public speaking workshop for our board members and making sure that we get the things that they'll practice during that session. Those are actually uh, data points for the organization and talking points. And a lot of times, too, it's bringing people in to give testimonials so that they hear those stories and they can share those stories. Um, at, with one group where some of the data was really important, we actually sent them a PDF of a uh, of some information during the board meeting. And then we encouraged them to open it up right then on their phone and uh and save it, do a screenshot and save it. Um, we had to give a little bit of tutorial for some of the people in the room on how to do the screenshot. But you know, we said, hey, that's going to be right in there with all the pictures of your grandkids. And so you can just flip through when you're having that conversation. And so it really is helping them to have the opportunities and have the skills, but then also to have the information and the stories to be spokespeople and to be ambassadors. But also sometimes it's asking them based on Uh, based on their relationships or their industry, you know, like right now there's one that we've got a construction project. And so one of the gentlemen on our board, we're asking him, hey, is this something you can get together with some of your suppliers and and vendors and talk about this with them or bring them over and just us do a little presentation about that. And so, so sometimes it's really more about finding your niche as well.
0: I like that, and that's something I work with my clients on too. And I'm glad that you alluded to this because it sounds like you are kind of the same way, where I would much rather help the board members figure out. What's your personality, your skill set, your network? And let's figure out how you can serve using those as opposed to saying, okay, every board member has to call 10 potential donors and ask for money. Right. <laughs> Nine out of 10 board members are not going to do that because that feels icky. They're not going to call a bunch of strangers. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. But it, it'll be so much more successful if you can say, hey, can you call your suppliers? can you talk to these people? Can you have a lunch with someone? Figuring out what's going to work for each person. One person's going to be wonderful at public speaking. Another is going to be wonderful at those one-on-one relationships and explaining it that way. So I think you're kind of saying this too, it's much better to match up and really tap into the specific skill set of each one as opposed to just a blanket statement of everybody has to find 20 people to come to this event across the board.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. At at some of our workshops uh, we, we do with boards, we'll actually pull out some of the major components of the strategic plan and we'll facilitate some discussion about what could be done, how the board could be involved, and then we'll have them make commitments. And again, just like you said, based on your skills and your network and your experience, where do you see yourself plugging into the strategic plan? And, you know, with almost everything, when it's their decision and not our decision placed on them, it it almost always goes better, no matter who or what.
0: For sure. Yes. And I always remind them, the plan is to work for you. And the organization. It's not for you to be a slave to the plan.
1: Absolutely. So
0: it's definitely something that they need that reminder sometimes because I think it can be intimidating. But yet once they realize okay, this is to actually help us and to help us focus and give us direction, then they can kind of get more in line with it and get that momentum going as a team. Definitely. Can you give any specific examples or stories of I guess a transformation or how you've seen this process work well for a nonprofit. Yeah.
1: You know, I th- there's one organization that's just incredibly intentional. They really are good about planning, they're really good about growing skills, both of their board and of their key leaders, um, looking ahead. And we were doing one workshop where they were really looking at kind of what I was saying earlier, they, that we'd already created the strategic plan, and now we were looking at implementing it. And uh, really, at one point, we were looking at the endowment process and the fundraising, and they hadn't made much progress on that, that aspect in the strategic plan. And we pressed a little bit on that, because this it really matched up with who they were and the kind of rapport that they have in the community and who some of their key donors are and how some of those key donors were starting to reach a pretty significant age. And so we started talking about having those endowment conversations with people and making that a regular part of their messaging. And... It, The last time they reported back to me, they and this was about four years later, they'd had about three point four million dollars in their endowment. And, you know, that was just that was a gigantic improvement for them, which really helped them to think about sustainability and to not feel like they were going to be under the gun if they continued to grow and things like that. So you know that was um, that was where we kind of saw full circle how the strategic planning process, really got implemented, but then how that accountability of the board of saying, where are we on these strategic planning items and their willingness to engage in them, you know, not say, oh, it's all you, but how can we be a part of it? That absolutely is one. But that's also the same group who has really looked hard at defining what the culture of the board is and what onboarding should look like. There is another example that just happened two weeks ago where there was a conversation in the executive committee of the board and I was sitting in on it and the executive director was going in one direction and that was kind of contrary to ways that the previous executive director had led and that the board was used to. But one of the board members asked a really good question. And it made for really rich discussion. I wouldn't say it was heated, but it was definitely not all kumbaya. And uh, they really reached great resolution. And the end of it was my favorite part. The board chair recognized the rich conversation, the amount of respect that was in the room. And then he said, we've got to have more conversations like that. And so, you know, it just, I, I appreciated that there was a lot of good respect in there, enough respect to bring up the question instead of it being, you know, at the end of a meeting where the the really good questions are all asked at the trunks of the cars in the parking lot when people are <laughs> about to leave.
0: Right. In small groups of two or three. Yeah, exactly.
1: You know, I I, I want to see it in the boardroom.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think sometimes people are afraid to have those conversations and it's almost like they're afraid it will get heated or hurt feelings or they don't want to step on toes when really you can do it respectfully and you can not see eye to eye, but you can discuss those perspectives. And then a lot of times that really does bring around more of a team decision because you have fleshed it out and really talked it through and decided together on what's the best way forward.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're going to be so much stronger because of that, but it does go back to relationships that we talked about earlier, you know, things that whatever we can do to foster relationships, either in our board meetings or outside of our board meetings, but between board members, I think always pays, pays dividends.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that mentoring is a big key there. And I've talked about that in past episodes too, of how important that is in whatever kind of development, whether it's your nonprofit leadership or just your professional or personal, just that mentoring role is so important. And a lot of times, unfortunately, I think board members are just handed bylaws and say, here's our stuff, read through it sometime, welcome to the board, and that's it. And nobody's going to read through a big legal document of bylaws, at least very rarely. So that's really tough. But I think that process of that onboarding and having that be more of an ongoing thing over the course of several months and making that intentional can really be a big key in having that be more successful and more of a team feel to the board instead of just each person showing up, you do your part, you go home. Yeah,
1: I, I totally agree. And it's it's intentionality, but I think it's also making it interesting. Mm-hmm. I know you're an educator and you know, asking giving boards a quiz Mm -hmm. can be a great tool to helping them get to know things. You know, they're going to learn some things right there in the quiz, but then some of them are going to go, man, I don't know as much as I thought I did. I need to go look at some, you know, our strategic planning document or our budget or our bylaws or whatever that might be.
0: Yes. And making it fun like that, is much more personal and effective than you coming in saying, okay, you don't know this. You need to learn these things. But by doing a quiz, they read it and then they realize, ouch, I don't know as much as I thought I did. Then they realize, okay, I got to step up my game. I want to do well here. I don't want to look like a fool or you know, I want to help this place. I don't want to just take up space. So then they internalize that and step it up without you saying, which I think is more effective, but yet you're kind of coming in the back door doing it indirectly. So tell us more about your book that you've mentioned and what kind of topics that covers and how that's helpful for nonprofits.
1: Yeah. The book is called The Ambassador's Journey, A Parable About Nonprofit Board Leadership. And it came out this spring and it's written because, you know, in such a way, I told you why we wrote it. We wrote it because of, you know, the disappointments on both sides about the level of engagement. But we wrote it as a story so that it would be an interesting read for nonprofit leaders and nonprofit boards specifically. And so it covers things like recruitment and relationships and uh, legacy, really good board meetings, strategic planning, uh, dealing with conflict. It, It looks at all of those, but It takes a a few characters and you see the path that they go on. Um, Some of them good paths and some of them not so good, which is pretty true of most boards that we would sit on. But then while it's an interesting story and I would say an easy, easy read, at the end of every chapter, there are questions for the board member and then there's discussion questions. And then at the end of the book, There are questions for executive directors and board chairs. And so it's really the center of the target is board members, but it's meant to be a tool for board chairs and executive directors as well. But it really makes people process why they're on the board and what they could do and what their role is and how they can make a difference. Even if the things aren't going all well, how can they make an impact and be a catalyst for change?
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you're telling both sides of the story because it's easy to just have this nice fiction story. There's a plot, there's the twist and something, and then this perfect little resolution at the end. But you're telling, it sounds like there are struggles and there is a reality and it doesn't always work well. And so you're bringing all of that into play and presenting that. And I, you know, personally, I've read a couple of business books recently that have kind of that storytelling element, even though it's business principles. So it sounds like this is the same thing. And I really like that approach because it's more memorable. It's more interesting to stick with it and keep reading the story. And you can then convey it or relate it to others as well and apply it to different situations. It sounds like this could almost be a workbook style that a board could go through together chapter by chapter at each meeting and work through.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's meant to be a tool in that way. And so, yes, whether it's used for at board meetings or at a board retreat or, you know, small groups, that's mm-hmm. probably the best way is to break your board up into two or three or four small groups and have them go through it. You know, read three chapters at a time and discuss the three chapters. You know, something like that. But it it's definitely meant to be a tool for executive directors and board chairs to be able to give to their board members. Their board members, once they start reading, they're not mad at them for having to read it because it's an enjoyable read and they they are into it. But it does ask some really good, hard hitting questions. And uh, I I'd say. People would be hard pressed to read the book and not be better board members at the at the conclusion.
0: And I, I feel like this could maybe help address some of those tough issues without the director or another board member having to just outright point fingers and say, you're doing this wrong. It might help indirectly, gracefully address some problems that could be underlying that board members may not realize or understand.
1: Absolutely. Especially if it's being used in a small group kind of setting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Absolutely. Cause it, yeah, it'll again, easy to read, but hard hitting questions.
0: (laughs) I like that kind. (laughs) Although it makes you think and really reflect, I'm sure. And sometimes we need that. We need to just take time to do that. Right. Well, as we wrap up, is there a particular resource that's been meaningful to you over the years in your journey?
1: You know, I'll go back to the community leadership program that I mentioned, Leadership Tyler, and I'm fortunate to get to work with a lot of those. So I I would say look for the community leadership program in your region and see what it's about, see how it does. I find that it helps a lot of for-profit and non-profit leaders and it's a, a great resource and a great tool, so that I'm I'm a big advocate of that. And then uh, I'm a pretty avid reader and podcast listener. I, I would just say, you know, being being a lifelong learner and that using that principle and how you get your resources is, can vary pretty greatly, but just always be learning. Mm-hmm.
0: I agree. I'm the same way, and I think that's so important that we never run out of things to learn and more we learn, the more we realize how much more there is that we can tap into. And you said that about the leadership program. I feel like people may not always realize the relation between business training and nonprofit training and how valuable one is to the other, that maybe you don't have a nonprofit background, but you have an extensive business background. A lot of those same principles will still apply and vice versa. And I want to keep pointing that out. I've talked about that in past episodes, but I would like people to start realizing that of how their skill set can transfer and how valuable it is, whether or not you have that specific experience.
1: Yeah. And I would just piggyback off that and say, not only do they work off of each other, they can help grow each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's part of what happens in this book. I don't want to give too much away, (laughs) but you know, Uh, some of the characters really grow in their skills as they serve on the board and they take those skills back to the for-profits that they work at. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, yeah, and I say this in almost every training I deliver is, you know, if we're better, if let's say I'm, it's pretty common to be training in the for-profit sector with employees and leadership teams. And I say, you know, if you become a better leader today, odds are you'll take those lessons and apply them at home and adjust them a little. And that makes you a better leader when you come back to the workplace. And then taking it into the nonprofits that you serve in. And uh, those skills not only translate, but they can grow and uh, increase and just become a, just kind of a cycle of growth.
0: Absolutely. It really does carry over and spills over into every area of our lives, which is, you know, just a continuous growth thing. It goes back to that lifelong learning that when you do learn, it really helps you in all your areas of life, not just one specific thing. I agree. So where can we find you online if people want to connect or learn more about what you're doing?
1: Yeah. You know, the LinkedIn page is pretty great one. And it's Brian K. Brant, B-R-I-A-N K. Brant. Or they can uh, email Brian, B-R-I-A-N at coreinsightsleadership.com. Those are two great ways that uh, they can get in touch with me. Okay.
0: I will put that in the notes so people can click through and I'll be sure to link to the book as well.
1: Okay, So they
0: can check that out. And I'm excited to look at that myself. Well, thank you. These were some great tips, and definitely a lot of great takeaways of just how to develop leadership and the importance of that of that team approach and working with nonprofits to grow them. So, thank you for this.
1: You bet. Thank you, Teresa. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: All right, friends. I want to challenge you today. What is one action step you'll take away from this episode? Write it down right now, or make a note in your phone before you forget. And we all know somebody who's involved in nonprofit work, right? Would you do me a favor right now and share this episode with a friend? Let's spread the word so that nonprofits can make a bigger impact. That's all for today, my friends. Now go change your world.